0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator ten for ten percent off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: This is Rico Media. With Peter Kafka, that person you hear, kind of trying to be quiet in the background. Jason Hirshhorn, not back possible for the third time.
2: All I time, feel like I'm on Jonah Hill on Howard. Howard.
1: Jonah Hill on Howard or uh, or Steve Martin on SNL. Alec Baldwin on SNL. You are the Alec Baldwin of Recode Media. Welcome I mean, back, Jason. i love You have undoubtedly heard Jason here on his previous performances. What's the best way to describe you today, Jason?
2: CEO of the news, Redef? CEO Re-Deaf. of Redef, um, a, a news aggregator and curator. Very proud of it. Via newsletters, sign digital up, Redef.com.
1: Digital media pioneer, guy who hangs around media moguls, guy who is a great talker. Welcome back. I'm great to be here. It's, uh, it's an honor. Since we last spoke, you showed me the Redef
2: Jeep. Now, that's not a metaphor. No. Is it an actual Jeep? It's a Jeep. Um, I always wanted to have a Jeep, though I don't know how to drive stick. And when I left MTV, I knew the uh, Pimp My Ride guys, Uh, and I always watched what they did. And I called a guy named Dodona uh, in, uh, I think, White Plains or Purchase or wherever, Dodona Enterprises, and he built me a, a branded redef jeep. Okay, so we're, we're, this is not a metaphor.
1: Uh, this is a real thing. If you go to Beverly Hills, you can see Jason tooling around in what looks like a Pimp My Ride jeep with his logo all over it, like a 40-something white hip-hop star.
2: My favorite story about that is when I first met my girlfriend, and I was a little tentative about going out, and, she's, and I, I lied to her and told her that I was in New York. And she says, "Oh really? Because I saw a ReDef Jeep driving down Sunset unless you have a fleet of them, you know, you're lying." And I was.
1: <laughs> okay, go to LA, go see Jason's car. Since in you're in New York, we can't see the car. We can only talk about it. Let's talk about media. Yeah. Um, this is a great year for me to be writing and talking about media.
2: It's, it's like, uh, all the stuff that was supposed to happen in 2000 happened this year.
1: It's all happening. And, and the big picture, right, is the big, big, big giant media companies are now taking on the big, big giant internet companies. They all want your time, your money, uh, your attention. They don't like to sell you a subscription or at least wrench your eyeballs
2: so they can sell advertising. Those it battle I would, royale? I would say, tent, I say, I would say they're tentative on the comparison. I think when they when you ask them whether they're going to go after Netflix or go after Facebook they're more of like hey listen we've got our mom and pop and we're going to we're going to do well but we're not going after them.
1: Well they all talk about how Facebook and Netflix are going to kill them when they want the DOJ to approve their merger. Sure. That's when they list Apple and Amazon and Facebook and Netflix as all these these imperatives about why they need to swallow up everyone else. Yes. So, we're not exactly sure when this is going to run, um, but in the past, we have now uh, had Apple come out and kind of explain what they're doing, uh, Disney much more concretely come out and say, here's what we're doing, here's what we're going to sell, it's coming in November. Um, AT&T has sort of said what they're doing, they've been much vaguer about it, um, and then we have Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, who are all kind of going in one trajectory. Sure. want to just Should we go company by company?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd say in general, when you look historically at the TV and video business, um, they're pretty homogenous. And you've had broadcast and basic and premium, all really sold by the same company. And, you know, there are sort of three types of OTT services we're seeing right now. And that's really let's, uh, let's go as acronym free as possible. Okay. OTT, OTT is being selling uh, you streaming over video. Over the top video. Um, Which, it just means video that you're going to get it's through via, the internet. Uh, streaming video services. Yeah. Uh, and as my friend and your friend, Matt Ball, points out, um, there's those that need to. Um, they're usually the content owners, the Warners, the NBCUs, the Disneys. Um, those to do because their customers love video, and it's part of an overall different deal for them, like Amazon, Apple, and even AT&T, ultimately, with with service. Uh, and those that are trying to become the new players, which, you know, frankly, have been the most interesting, which are Netflix and YouTube. And they really have competitively, you know, three elements or, or issues that they're dealing with, which are how early or late are they, um, what do they want to achieve, and whether it's truly a direct-to-consumer model. And uh, so we have AT&T's announced, we've got Disney announced, we've got Amazon making changes, Apple, you can go through the list forever, we'll talk about Hulu later. But uh, Disney, you want to start with that?
1: Yeah, so we we're, we're, we're most recently heard from Disney, uh, came out and said, we're going to put pretty much everything we've ever made, movie-wise at least, uh, and you're going to watch it exclusively on Disney+. Plus. It'll go in the theaters. If we've made deals that—output uh, deals where it has to go to some other TV network first, that'll happen. But eventually, all this stuff is going to end up on our service, $7 a month, and we're going to throw in some originals, but that's not really our focus. They're not, they're not stressing that.
2: Yeah, I would I would say Kevin Mayer, who's going to run the service for Disney, has been concentrating on getting a lot of those rights, certainly on the domestic level, back. And then I think the next stage is, is international. Yep. And it was the right move. I mean, they did a great deal with Netflix. They made a lot of money. But, you know, if it's an arms race and you're the arms dealer and you need to use your own arms. Well, to me, this is actually the most interesting
1: thing is what Disney is doing is what we've seen for years and years and years. All the big media companies, this happens in other industries as well, debate whether they should do, which is we have an income stream coming in. It's a good business. Eventually, we can see over time it's going to decline or our business is going to decline if we keep doing this. But we don't want to give it up. Uh, and then they they inevitably that's the music business or the car guys you know, or whoever. It's like an ad-lib. You right? can fill in the uh, And Disney is one of the first companies I've seen to say they're not pivoting their entire business model and that's important to stress. Nope. But at least for this they're saying we're going to give up short-term money, significant short-term money, hundreds of millions of dollars a year that is basically like oh, pure profit. We're going to give that up. We're going to lose billions of dollars and try to build our own thing and we're going to try to do it in real time. Um, what why do you think Disney is sort of the one company so far that's come out and said, we're going to actually make a short-term sacrifice, long-term gain?
2: You know, it's not unlike when when Bob Iger took over at Disney years ago and sort of said to the street, we need to revamp what we're doing. Um, you know, I, for one, do think Disney's a little late. I, I think they're the ones that will be successful. Um, I would have liked to have seen them done uh, did it before. I think the issue that we have with Disney is – it's, you know, we talk about this all the time. You have a one foot in one boat, one foot in the other boat, you can fall in the water. And I find it very hard to, uh, you know, keep your legacy businesses um, while you're trying to build a new one. And this was really the advantage that Netflix had. Netflix had no legacy deals, no legacy businesses. The closest thing they had to legacy was they had a DVD business. Yes. Which and they
1: also they said shiv. we're gonna we're gonna push this out. We're gonna give it a Viking funeral. And they and they screwed up in the way they handled it and they got hammered. But they said streaming is the future, even though our business today is delivering DVDs via mail. And it's hilarious to yep. think now that that was only a few years ago. That and was still their core not a, business. Not Not an unsubstantial business It's still still. a real business, but that was what people – was a red envelope with discs that showed up at your house, and you probably didn't watch them, and you kept them forever. The AOL dial-up of movies. Right. Uh, And and so so Hastings did that successfully. Reed Hastings did it successfully.
2: But generally, again, you don't see that, especially from legacy media businesses. Yeah, and and again, you're you're a publicly traded company. Disney's so strong on so many levels. But clearly, Iger's been very public lately saying he sees the network business as a declining business. He's trying to manage that decline as he builds up his services. Uh, I would and also the way that they're releasing their movies isn't day and date, remember. Like they may have some movies that they do just for the service. But you have to imagine that they'll show up anywhere from four months to eight months after the six to nine, event. yeah. You're yeah.
1: gonna see you're gonna see Frozen Two in the theaters next late next year, and then six to nine months later it'll be on Disney Plus, instead of going to Netflix or HBO. But
2: if you think about must have content, you think about what's happened in the movie space. Um, those guys have been able to get Marvel, Pixar, Star Wars, they have obviously the Disney runs, yep. you, uh, the remake, what was it, of the Beauty and the Beast recently or whatever it was. Uh, yep, well, the, uh Beauty and the Beast Lion the King Dreaming, is, coming, Lion King is coming up. I mean, a half billion dollars here and there. I mean, I mean, those are must-have things for the family, which seems to be their focus. I've been a little confused as to why they decided to um, divide the services into three. So, you've got Disney Plus, which is the Disney content, the branded studio content, and then anything related to the Fox deal that may be okay, like The Simpsons or Princess Bride. Then you've got um, ESPN Plus, uh, and then you have Hulu. And Hulu has had a remarkable resurgence in the last year. I mean, they've grown more in the last, let's say, 18 months than they did in the previous seven or eight years. Uh, and they're not even at original strength yet. I, I sort of was hoping that they would consolidate Hulu, and it's almost done. Uh, Comcast, I guess, is left at a 33% yep. um, uh, investment. Uh, assuming they get that done, you have 25 million subs already. You've got momentum. And why not pile on? Well, I think they are
1: going to. And they they said as much. They said we're going to—they're likely going to bundle this together. I don't know why they wouldn't come out and say we're going to bundle this together. The assumption
2: is t- going to be single search— Add-ons things like that.
1: Yeah, or or just like we're selling a Hulu instead of paying two seven bucks more for Disney plus Let's give sell it for two for two But uh, and I want to talk a little bit more about Hulu because yep. you know that business really well and, and that history is really interesting This sort of ongoing discussion is is Disney plus aimed at Netflix. Is it a Netflix killer? I use Netflix killer in my headline. It's shorthand
2: um, I think it's, it's the you- logical answer is it's the two can coexist quite nicely no one's getting rid of Netflix. It's the greatest deal. I just saw the other day that it's $15.99 for me now. I don't even blink at that. And granted, you have a pimped-out Jeep. There are people who, who, who,
1: to whom a few dollars a month is a meaningful amount of
2: money. This is very uh, uh, true and uh, insensitive of me. But I, I would just say that that's the greatest value out there now. And you know that I watch a tremendous amount of television and video. And what I found really interesting re- lately is— I'm missing out stuff that I normally would have watched on HBO or Showtime that I love just because when I'm watching Netflix, I'm watching things that I didn't intend to watch. I'm going deeper on a subject matter, and it's just keeping my time there, as does Amazon Prime. So I don't think you're gonna you're gonna jettison Netflix, and I I don't think anyone in Disney right now would would basically position themselves against Netflix. No, they're explicitly taking stuff from Netflix and putting on their own service. There's a direct competition. I there. mean, on a size basis, yep. there's no reason why. I mean, Disney's projected I forget what the figures were, but you know, sixty to 90 60 million. to ninety million subs. That was a bigger number than I thought they were going to come out with, to be honest with you, because when you talk internally, they're sort of a little touchy about, listen, we're not going after Netflix. Um, We're not going to make as much content as Netflix. But to be honest with you, if you look at the Disney merger, they own probably 30 percent of the content market. If not, there's no way right today between the production studios, the networks and all their streaming services, they're not creating more shows than Netflix on a yearly basis Uh, right uh, now.
1: As an aside, let's recall that the the U.S. uh, regulators did not bat an eye at this merger.
2: Not so at all. Just go ahead, combine And numbers. I'm sure that's probably why they didn't, you know, report those kinds of numbers. But the, they do this for a reason. And to be honest with you, it's a scale play. The, the, the world has changed. I'm not Tim Wu. I'm not an antitrust genius. But at the end of the day, Netflix proved that the network-branded model is on the decline. And, and they're looking at the video space as a whole and saying, how do we get to audiences? We get to them through children. Yep. We get to them through comedy. We get to them through music. Literally, systematically, you've been seeing them knock off categories. I watched Kevin Hart's comedy special, not a huge Kevin Hart fan, and they blew it out of the water. It was a great little thing.
1: So so one of the advantages uh, Netflix has had is they've been selling direct to the consumer forever. Correct. They know a lot about what you consume, what you might want to watch. They're good at delivering all that stuff to you. Uh, we ran uh, the excerpt of a uh, uh, Moffat Nathan and survey recently that suggested that, that people actually value the, the experience of Netflix, that it's on demand, that it works, that it's ad-free more than any individual shows. Disney is coming sort of the other way. They're saying, we have the content, first and foremost, that you're going to come and get from us. It's a long preamble, to How difficult is it for anyone, and you've been in, in and around in this business, to actually Do the streaming and direct-to-consumer and actually marketing this stuff? Because that's what Disney—Disney is a little better. But most of these these big media companies have been wholesalers. Yep. Um, So how do you think Disney is going to do with the actual
2: selling stuff to a consumer and streaming it to them and making all that stuff seamless? Fantastic question. I I don't want to speculate too much because, to be honest with you, they haven't shown me anything early. Um, I have a general sense of what's going on there, but I, I don't really have any extra knowledge on that. I'll, I'll direct you but to that three skill things.
1: set. How difficult is that skill set? To acquire? I don't
2: think that it's something that they truly not Disney specifically, but all the major media companies. Content is king. And, you know, uh, I think the attitude is that this blockbuster could be watched in a garbage can. You know, the audience would still love it. It's not flippant. Remember that Disney owns BAM tech. They are a very, very good technology and product group. Um, that was, a. Uh, I, I don't know about price, but uh, in terms of uh, getting a skill set. This is what used to be the Major League Baseball Major League streaming, baseball and they did group. everyone else's streaming as exactly. well. Exactly. They did everyone else's streaming and interfaces. Um, I'll direct you to three pieces. Uh, one is, over the weekend, Fred Wilson wrote a little blog post on avc.com called Functionality Versus Content. Where New he, York Venture Capitalist. Yes, uh, New York Venture Capitalist and and great thinker and and Twitterer and, and blogger. Uh, he talks about the importance of that, and he I, I don't know if it's the Nathanson he survey. He did, he did. But that survey is in there where it's true. And I will tell you that I look at Netflix as a love brand, something that I love. It's part of my life, and it really has nothing to do in my brain with the shows, which I enjoy. It has to do with the innovations they've made around this user experience. Andy Weissman, who's also with USV, wrote a piece months ago called Control, which is a similar piece. And then our Matt Ball wrote that in Netflix Misunderstanding that you have to understand that Netflix is a product and technology company. Those things and the innovations they've built around video, and I think that's actually a, the big part of the future of video, and Matt's talked a lot about this, is the functionalities they are coming. I don't know— and I think it's out of an insecurity that the media companies understand that the interface is so important, that the ease of use is so important.
1: But you know, if it
2: works okay and I know that I want
1: to watch Cinderella or name a Disney movie, right, and so many of them. If it's just okay and I just have to click through a couple extra steps and it's not as elegant as what I'd like,
2: I'm still going to give them my seven bucks, right? I, certainly, if you're a family, I think they're going to do fine. And by the way, remember, there's getting out the door because they're late. And then there's the long-term plan, and I would bet that the long-term plan has a lot of respect for that. There's a movie I love called Sicario, and in Sicario, it's about uh, the drug cartels, you know, fighting the U.S. It's government. It's an elevated B movie. It's excellent. Um, I find it fantastic, and Sicario: Day of the Soldado was even better. No, and it was much less good. I'm going to depend. I'm going to debate that with you. But in in Sicario, one of the Mexican federales says to uh, Benicio del Toro, he says, "I hear you're looking for a tunnel," and he says, "Yes." He goes. You better move quick because no one will be where they are in three days. That's the way you need to look at the streaming market right now, which is, I think, in terms of org structure, in terms of executives, and in terms of the actual plan, you can only game out so much and you got to be in the field. And, you know, with the things that I, I'm concerned about, but not, not, not taking a shot at them, is that it's amazing to me that none of these companies have not done uh, direct-to-consumer, and yet you got Disney doing three services at once.
1: Um, the AT and T multiple this, tiers. This is this is why I have you on is because you're the first person to drop
2: a Sicario reference. Thank you in this in this podcast. Sick reference. You got to give me like a Jonah Hill. Come on, <laughs> <All right. laughs> that's Bobby Axelrod's line now. Sick um, reference.
1: Uh, showtime. I love it. <laughs> um, let's talk about AT and T because I was going to go back to Apple and Amazon, but yep. but they so HBO has been a wholesaler. Time Warner has been a wholesale business. AT and T though. They do a ton of direct marketing, right? They are in the yeah. business of getting you to sign up for wireless service. Yeah. Uh, they but spend in all a, fairness, they're not a love brand. They, they, But they spend a ton of money on it, right? Yes. They know their way they in the and out of understand the mechanics. They understand the mechanics. Does that give them a leg up as they try to figure out how to supersize HBO and get you to pay for HBO Max and whatever else they're going to come out with?
2: One of the problems when you have something like AT&T buying a WarnerMedia and they're entering a market, you know, me, you, everybody that's looking on— We're sort of like on a Nat Geo show where like, you know, the vultures are eating the carcass and we don't exactly know what they're going to do. And you see all these executive changes. But at the end of the day, if you think about what they have in place in terms of media stack, great content, they've got these services coming, they've got TV, they've got um, mobile of 100 and some odd million customers and knowing where they are. If you put those things together and you put the right acumen in, I think you could do well. You know, I think there's been some missteps, at least wh- from my perspective in looking at executives or the announcement of services and their tiers or the shutting down of services that, that were in the Warner Filmstruck. family from before. RIP. F- you know, Filmstruck is something that, you know, you had 100 or 200,000 uh, users on Filmstruck, and it's a service that people loved, and the people that were on that service were evangelists. And by the
1: way, even if they didn't subscribe to that service, you know who else loves – this is a, a old movie, yeah. the Criterion movies, stuff yeah. like that. Martin Scorsese, um, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, so, so AT&T sh- buys Time Warner, promptly announces they're shutting down this service that most people have never heard of. Yep. And then they are promptly having to go apologize to Steven Spielberg and J.J. Abrams who are outraged that they've shut down this classic movie thing, which, by the way, is certainly going to get rolled into whatever they start selling at the end of this year. And this is a very small, picky thing, but to me it, it, is, it, is mean, it could be meaningful because you have at and out of the gates sort of stumbling around in Hollywood as everyone sort of thought they would and yeah. as I expected at and to try really
2: hard not to do. John Stanky is a very smart guy who runs that division of and modern media. He is thoughtful. I think that because that merger was delayed by the Justice Department, they had to get a move on. And you also have that debt. Now, the savings that they would have gotten from shutting down drama fever and filmstruck are, are, are nothing really in the scheme of things, but it does center the company as to where they're going. Right. But I think what you point out is valid, which is more of a cultural issue. The the media business is a personal business. You have creators that are trusting you with their content. Th- that content is their child. And I what I would have done, again, I, I hate to be the sideline pundit because I don't know what's going on under there, is that... You keep the service open, and then, you know, the day before you're launching your Warner Media service or whatever they're going to call you it. You
1: all 200,000 people, hey, congratulations, you have a three free, months free yeah. of, of the new HBO or whatever.
2: Yep. Which they're going to do now, but it was unnecessary. Now, me and you watch that. The average kid on the street, the average fan on the street, no one paying attention to
1: that. So similar, right? You and I have watched the entire top tier of Time Warner management leave. Yeah, There's a different story for why, why each one left. But Jeff Bukas, who ran Time Warner, is out. John Martin, who ran Turner, is out. Uh, Kevin Sushihara, who ran the studio, is out. Richard Plepler, who ran HBO, is out. They're all different reasons why they left. In some yeah. cases, they got a push. In some cases, they jumped. And again, it seems like from the outside, boy, you'd want to keep some of those guys. You paid $86 billion for this company. The AT&T guys, and, and prior to them all leaving, oh, David Levy from T- Turner is gone as well. They all said, oh, we love the, the great managers who bought the whole team. Yeah. Now they're saying, basically, we'll we'll do fine without them. Yeah, it's like the Trump White House.
2: <laughs> People leaving. It's, it's,
1: there's, there's no Scaramucci in that list. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, listen, I will tell you that it's been a little shocking to me, specifically on the, on the Richard Plepler end, who was the former HBO CEO for 12 years and there for probably 30, less, less so in general just because, listen, it's their company. They spent $100 billion. They have a view on what needs to get done. They had a plan. Whether the people that were running those divisions were involved in that plan or not, we don't know. The Plepler thing I thought was fascinating just because HBO is really a, a culture magnet. Talent loves to work there. It's got the greatest um, history ch- and track
1: record. I went to the Game of Thrones premiere, and uh, there was a there, Radio City Music Hall, yep. 5,000 people. Plepler's there in the audience. Uh, and speaker after speaker comes up and says, this show would not have existed without Richard Plepler. He greenlit this thing. Yep. Uh, it, was a, it was a bad, you know, the script didn't make any sense, and then it was a bad pilot. It's enormously expensive. He then allowed us to to reshoot the pilot, and enormously expensive would not have him without Richard Plepler.
2: Yeah. Um, they love him. On and the on talent on. loves Richard. I was I was upset to see that, and I will only speculate as to what the reason was, which is, listen, there is this call for scale, and for every division to cooperate and work together towards one goal. And um, I think all the divisions. And he has, wanted to run his own unit. Well, uh, no, I, th- I think Richards was, was part of that plan, and I think he understood their role in the plan. And personally, I think HBO should have led the plan. But you also have a company that was run with it, the way that Bucus ran it, where the divisions competed against each other. HBO was a special thing. Synergy was bullshit, was the Bucus quote. And, and, and by the way, you have a guy who's run his company and wants a certain amount of autonomy— and if that's not going to be available, no harm, no foul. You had a, you had a great run and he decides that he doesn't want to be there right. anymore.
1: The, the counter to this is, from the at and side is there's a lot of people who can make movies and television shows, not an unlimited number, but there's a lot. We
2: can hire them. They'll yeah. be happy to work for us and yeah. we're going to give them a lot of resources. Yeah, That's fucking nonsense. I'll tell you why. Because we are in a talent-based um, business and I think that that kind of thinking, specifically at a tech platform level, where people are not important, where maybe at AT T, not there's saying they're not important, just saying there's more than one person who can there, run a, a, a pay TV network. There's a reason why HBO had the greatest track record in the history of television for quality programming. Completely changed the space. Here's another
1: counter made by yeah. me. Yeah. yeah, Ted Sarandos, yeah. Reed Hastings. What was their their entertainment background prior to getting into Netflix?
2: Prior Nothing. to getting with streaming, what, prior to making original. But content? what did they say they wanted to be? If you Listen to them for the last five years. What did they want to be? They wanted to be like HBO, yeah. That was their stalking horse, yeah. That was their stalking horse. So, my point is, they even tipped the hat. It's not just, it's not to say the that point is they want to great content.
1: Reed had zero entertainment background. Ted Sarandos was like an yeah. SVP of a regional video chain, yeah.
2: Yeah. and, and they now, now hired, they run Hollywood, but they also hired Lisa Nishimura and Scott Stuber, e- exactly. And Cindy right? They
1: took a lot of money and yeah. hired
2: a lot of talent, yeah. So, so, it's not to say that AT&T won't be there, but also. What is AT&T saying for how this place is going to work? And I'm not, I'm not saying they've done anything wrong. We haven't seen anything yet, Peter. Let's, the reality is the, one of the best programmers for my money in the last 20 years of television is Kevin Riley, who runs t and now. And in fact, when he ran NBC and he ran Fox, I thought those jobs were beneath him because his taste was better than broadcast. Now he's in charge of content for the service as well as t and I think he's a winner. Toby Emmerich is killing it. At Warner Brothers Pictures, they're they're doing it. They're, they've just revived their their DC you know issues with Shazam. Shazam. Is great. Fun movie. You saw it the yeah. other day. I watched it the other night. Just a fun movie. Um, they're obviously going to have talent to work there. There was a special thing about the way that HBO dealt with talent, and I don't think you should just dismiss that. Richard's not the only one that can do it, but I, I would like to make sure that AT and has a little more respect for it. The other thing I'll say is this: is that when you're in a business and that you're if, if you're joining into an area that you don't know much about that you want to be a player in, you've got the catalog. There's no reason to crap on other services. There's no reason to say you're not paying attention to other services. I don't understand why you would say things like Netflix is the Encyclopedia Britannica. It just doesn't, it, it makes you look insecure. Oh, this is, this is a comment that, who, who made it? Bob Greenblatt, uh, Bob Bob Greenblatt who's Greenblatt a very smart guy and a talented guy. Or, you know, Randall Stevenson, I think, said something about, you know, someone's Walmart and someone's You know Tiffany's. what, we, we
1: just had Josh Sapan in. Sure, uh, I'm he sure he had AMC. a lot to say about that. Uh, and he used the Walmart line too. Too, right, yep. and he because he runs basically what's a boutique yeah. uh, TV network.
2: But yeah, but in all fairness, and I, I love Josh. If you're in the television business, the network business, you're going to be a little insecure these days.
1: Uh, I, I tried using that as my opening gambit. He did not bite. Let's take a quick pause to hear from a sponsor or someone else who has something important to tell you. I'll be right back with Jason Hirshhorn.
0: Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin?
1: We could run through every other. Every, every well, the other funny media part about company. the
2: Jeep is seeing me get into it. I didn't see that part. Yeah, I yeah. just saw the valet bring it. It's like it a, up. there's a conveyor belt that lifts me up. <laughs> All right. uh,
1: I want to hit on a couple more media companies, and then I want to ask you about other stuff as well. Hit me. Uh, Apple. Yep. Came out weird presentation. Um, still confused about why they did it. Does it matter that they came out with a weird presentation? Does that uh, tell you less, anything
2: about what they're actually going to launch? Next I'm a fall? little biased. Uh, you know, Apple could run over doves, and I'd still love them. Uh, I I don't know what. Uh, it was confusing to me. I don't know why they did it. There was really nothing to say, nothing to show. Um, obviously, they're late to the game as well. They're they they have a tremendous amount of cash they can spend. It. They hired these guys from Sony who apparently know what they're doing. I've looked at the potential lineup. Yeah. It's very middle of the road in terms of their their cl- they're clearly going wide. Why do you think Apple wants to be making their own streaming video? You know, I, I was I was a believer of this five years ago. I think you and I are always on knowing that they would eventually do it, which is, listen, everyone's arming up. And funny enough, content is a differentiator. And I think where we're going is the subscription world. And Matt Ball, again, wrote a piece, I think, last summer about what we thought Apple was you know, going If you do. keep referencing Matt Ball, who's yeah. worked for you, we're going to have to bring him on the podcast. You should absolutely should have we're him. We're going on to. Here. Um, but he should get the credit. Apple Prime. It's going to be a combination of you get you know what you see now. You can get your device for seventy bucks a month and always get a new one. You'll get Apple Care. You'll get access to the streaming services. And here's a Reese Witherspoon TV show. Yes, and listen, it's reason to stay in the ecosystem. You know they'll ultimately drive subscriptions for third party services, similar to the way that Amazon has really successfully helped uh, channels like Stars. Um, my assumption is it'll be free with devices like I mentioned. Um, but I don't know what library they're going to have. You know, wh- what's going to be very interesting to see is the intercompany licensing that goes on once everybody is arming back on their own. Uh, I think Stanky or Randall Stevenson at AT&T had said, we are going to license to others. Uh, I-, I imagine there's going to be some trade. But if you're in an Apple streaming business, which is not direct, uh, you know, download to, to own – where, where's your content coming from? Because all your competitors that used to license- Right, them. you say they're arming up, but if you look, even though they're
1: spending a billion or two billion a year, it's it's a fraction of what Netflix is Nothing. gonna spend. Yeah. It's It doesn't give them anything close to what Disney has already. So they're not really going head to head
2: right there's now. There's a theory that, and, and we hear about Amazon wanting to arm up a little more, but there's a theory about Amazon and Apple where they're just doing enough to keep you in the ecosystem that it's not about winning. I got to tell you something. I love Amazon Prime. I, Fire TV, I think, is a fantastic device. I watch a ton of stuff on there. Amazon Prime, you have to look at like Amazon, where it's the video catalog of the world. And you can do a search and it has every video ever made. You may not have access to it, but it'll give you one-click access to it if you want to add the subscription or buy something a la carte. But, you know, they, they haven't seemingly taken a swing the way that Netflix has. There's no reason why they shouldn't. But I think it's about what is the what is the tipping point to keep you in the ecosystem? Right. They
1: spent billions of dollars years years on video, and I thought they must have a plan. In retrospect, they kind of didn't have a plan. Remember that
2: Netflix, even at, Eight to ten billion they're spending. I don't know what the last number was. It's still less than spectrum spends or charter. They're, spends. they're saying twelve. Sure. Uh, so that's in line then with charter. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not paying for sports. And by the way, you're also starting to see for the first time they're canceling shows as if that's like you know some sort of travesty. Like some things work, some things don't, some yeah. things end. They were able to get such a land grab and try so many things at once. Now they understand what's working. And when I sat on the board of MGM, I remember we had done a huge deal with uh, with Netflix, and it was a fantastic deal. As did Stars. On the second time, when they come back, they're smarter. They know what they want. They know what they'll pay. They know what they don't want.
1: What do you think? So um, we'll we'll leave Netflix for a separate conversation right now. But all the traditional, the the AMCs and the CBSs and the Viacoms and and everyone else who sort of doesn't have scale in this world. You can go to our media map and you can sort of see how small these companies are relative to Disney Fox and also Amazon and Apple, et cetera. Um, last time we talked, we were expecting this big wave of M and A that hasn't happened. Sure. Do we still assume that those things are going to get bought, or maybe they're just going to sort of sit there by themselves?
2: There's, I mean, there's two avenues that can go down, um, or three avenues. One is you're starting to see this a lot of talk about advertiser supported video services, so um, the new new thing, uh, you know, so AVOD. So what what Biocon may do with Pluto? Then you have Comcast gone, says they're going to have an ad an ad service. Then you could argue that all the services are going to have to fill in. They're not going to go as aggressive as Netflix, meaning they're going to have to have library. I'm not joining a service because you have a couple of movies. I need a library. I need, you know, other things. Well, also, if it's, it's free, you don't have to join in, right? I'm oh, I, like, I, I more meant if yeah. you're looking at some of uh, 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 other competitors CBS All Access, all these other right. kinds of things. So to me, you're either going to see consolidation or some sort of, a, you know, affiliation with people where they could add on and bundle. I think some of the add-ons like Stars and Showtime have done well through Hulu. But ultimately, you're going to see uh, mergers. It's it's just you you need to exist. It's still inevitable. that These guys are going to get I, get, get I, merged. I think so, and you know I know that there's all this talk about antitrust and stuff, but like it's a it's it's a survival thing. I mean, I literally looked at AT and T and Time Warner as a survival thing uh, for the future of the company. It's services and content. I don't. And the and the disadvantage in some of these places are going to be okay. If you're a, let's say let's let's say Discovery, A and E, Viacom and CBS merged and all of a sudden you had enough content library for scale, you're not giving it away for free and you're not packaging it with a device or something else. You know, we saw this, we'll talk about Pandora a little, but we saw this at Pandora, as great of a job as Roger Lynch did when we brought him as a CEO to stabilize the company, to get the stock back up, to get product going, to get acquisitions going, very hard to compete with packaged free music services. You know, um, even Spotify, I think at some point has to be part of somebody.
1: Yeah, let's let's save music for the end. Yep. Um, Netflix, you mentioned there's push they're doing in interactive. Uh, they they will now say sort of Fortnite is a major competitor, and they mean both in time spent, but they also talk now, and they had a they had a sort of a press day I went to last month. Yep. They talk repeatedly about interactivity and how interesting that is to them, both sort of the, they're doing a, a handful of these sort of choose your own adventure style, Black Mirror's branching narrative. Yep. Uh, if you turn on the service now, they're pushing one out with Bear Grylls. Those seem like novelties to me right now. And like the, I clicked on the Bear Gryllis one and realized I actually had no interest in watching the sure. show. So I didn't want to get to the first point where I chose yep. to make a decision. They did want to skin the bear open? And again, I could Im- maybe for kids it makes more sense. It's hard for me to imagine interactive video where I choose the plot
2: to sure. be something I do more than once or twice. Even though we present as people that are up and into innovations, you and I are old guys. And, uh, well, I, I am old. Um... I think I'm older than you.
1: No, uh, so. but you went to high school with Moses. I'm we're, old at heart. But do we think that's the future of TV, or is the bigger idea they're experimenting with different things
2: and they're going to hit on a bunch of different ideas? You know, when HD came out, who cares? You know, when uh, you know overlays came out, who cares? I usually end up adapting them, and I can't remember a time where I didn't have them. When uh, voice control, the fact that I'm going to sit in a, yeah. in a room and talk to myself to change the channel. I thought I'd never use that, and I do. You know, I've been watching a ton of.
1: Uh, I watched, I rewatched all the Sopranos, and I did it via Amazon.
2: How many times have you done it? Just
1: once. Thirteen, 13 times. I oh, just finished. Well, you, you see, you're off the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I was watching, and periodically, I would hit either intentionally or accidentally the screen, and it would pop, it would show me the list of characters, and maybe a bit of trivia. It would tell me what the song was. X-ray. X-ray. Fantastic. Never thought it was something I wanted. Then I'm watching Netflix on my phone, and I kept hitting the button because I wanted to know what
2: character that was. Uh, maybe I was watching Showtime, whatever it was. Yeah. I'm like, oh, actually, I want that. So, I actually, I, I want to get to the, the interactivity point, but that's actually a really interesting point you bring up, which is if you use a product like Amazon Fire, the best controls they have in many ways are the Amazon content, the stuff that you watch through them. Netflix is an app, and Netflix does great stuff like rollovers and other things, but what's very funny is that when you have a cable box, functionality stays through each channel and it all works the same way. Yeah. Whereas on the OTT devices and the services, some skips are 15 seconds, some have no skip, some have four X, you know, fast forward. That's a very frustrating thing about the unbundling of video. And, and what happens often is some of these platforms that now are getting into content, save some of the functionalities for themselves and not their partners. And I actually think that's something that something needs to change because it's a, a worse experience. On the interactivity side, and again, I'm going to shoot, I'm I'm, going to shout Matt Ball out here. He's done a piece for us called Autoplay, the future of video around interactivity. And, you know, I I think the fascinating thing here about new distribution technologies in media is how they transform content and not just the content delivery. And these new, you know, delivery capabilities will improve um, television and film content from many different ways. It could be choose your own adventure. It could even be A-B testing of a show. Or maybe even shortened versions where you see where people skip through so that you have multiple versions of the same content going to different audiences. I'll give you an example of someone that does that in a rudimentary way. It's not interactive. If you go to the, the taste made guys, depending on where their content is shown, they they shoot it differently. I, I actually think something's going on there and it's going to be a thing. I don't think it should be added to everything. I think this is like the mistake that 3D made. You know, three, they th- put 3D on everything. I don't need to see 3D on everything. Does it really there, enhance there the There was that,
1: and also there were 3D movies where if you were watching them in 2D, you could go, oh, this is the part where you're supposed to have 3D glasses because it's like a – you know, yeah. it's The Hobbit and it's on a roller coaster ride, but they're going through – they're yeah. in the barrels. And, and it's boring. Uh, and, I, and you can I, see that this is the segment we filmed specifically for 3D, and leaving aside the fact that it sucked to wear
2: 3D. I'm the first person, I think, in the world to have acquired ADD. I think it went airborne on me. And one of the things that was frustrating, and I missed the whole video game, uh, you know, sort of uh, revolution with Call of Duty and stuff is that when you put that, you know, CD in the the Xbox and you got to a level, now it's loading the other Mm -hmm. level. And what Matt talks about, and I agree, when I go to a movie theater, one of the greatest gifts a movie theater can give me is this idea that I'm going to be in something immersed for two hours? I'm not on my phone because it's verboten. And in order to know what's going on on screen, there has to be a suspension of disbelief. Yes. And the problem You're with in. interact products in the past has been every time you make a choice, you have to stop the narrative and something else needs to load. And that's a very frustrating thing for the user experience. You take someone out. Do I think everyone's going to do it? Part of TV that's fantastic is just to sit back and veg and get into the, get into the story. But there will be, and, and we may not even call it TV, but when you see what's going on with Fortnite, when I walk in, when, what Reed and Ted have said is that that's their competitor for time. Well, I remember when I was at MTV and one of the genius programmers saw that all the young boys were leaving television, and what do we do? Those geniuses were like, let's make shows about video games yeah. rather than invest in a video game company even though they did rock band that didn't go so well you have to and it's a different kind of storytelling they have characters they have they build their avatars those are things that are going to move into that world think about the interactivity here where you um, can take a picture of yourself and put you in the screen if you're a studio
1: if you are a writer, if you're an actor, any of these people who are good at making television and movies, at telling stories, should you be spending time trying to figure out what lessons you can take from Fortnite about how you should be adapting your craft? Or should you say, I'm going to do the thing I do really well. I'm going to do that. Someone's going to pay me for it.
2: And I'm going to let someone else who's really good at making video games screw around with that. I think it's a, it's all over the map. So Uh, A friend of mine, David Greenbaum, who's the head of, of, I guess, production or programming at Fox Searchlight, which is now a Disney company, also had a dual role working with a bunch of guys, um, Ted Gagliano and others at, at, at Fox, working on something called the Fox Innovation Lab. And they built out this entire lab, which was about interactivity and video. It could be virtual reality experiences. When they did The Martian, if you remember, at CES, you could, you know, literally feel gravity free and all these kinds of things. They would bring filmmakers in. To experiment with them, yeah. so, and most of the filmmakers knew nothing about it. Here's the issues that filmmakers have. when you're when you're when you're in virtual reality glasses, and the part of the suspension of disbelief is that you control things. And there have been videos. I'll give you an example. Paul McCartney did this great thing where you could watch him in concert. You could stand on stage, see the crowd, you could see him play, you could turn around. But they also did edits. And when you do an edit in virtual reality, the suspension of disbelief goes away because you're not in control anymore. It's a very weird thing for someone, film is a is a scam. You you have a frame, you don't show what's outside the frame, you use music and acting and all these different elements in order to manipulate the audience, and this is the art. I wish I could do this correctly. I had Steven Soderbergh
1: in here, which is a great name drop, and I asked him about this stuff. He said, I'm not interested in VR, essentially because it, the perspective doesn't work for storytelling. Correct. Um, you need to be able to show people what's going on, Panoramic and, and views, all the yeah. VR stuff is sort of head on. It doesn't work for storytelling. What he does like about technology is that he can literally make a movie with his iPhone, yep. which he's done now a couple of times. Like, I love that part of tech. I love giving me better tools to do what I know how to
2: do. It's the whole spectrum. This, is, to me, is the hip-hop of film. You know, you had kids who couldn't afford instruments, but their parents had a great um, record collection in some cases, and they turned a, a technology device into a, an instrument. and And then they started creating unique compositions out of derivative works. That's what's going to happen in film. What, what is, if it's going to be called TV or film, I don't really want to watch a movie on my VR set or my Oculus set, but maybe I would. Maybe the future of what Facebook's going to do is I go to the movie, but then I can see the other people in the theater with me sitting there even though they're not there. I still love going to the theater. So my point is I get what Steven's saying, but I, I, filmmakers are all over the map. And by the way, if you're an artist, some filmmakers paint. Some make some make films some of the time. Some may make a short, right? And VR. Adele does really conventional songs. People love them. Yeah. So I, I think it's all over the map. I don't think it's an either or. It, it's not something. Sometimes I just want to be given a story and let me and let you control me. But there's this. I, I, I forget it's called Dreamscape. That's in the Westfield Mall in Century City. It's basically a movie theater for VR. Six people can go in time. Or what Lucasfilm is going to do with the virtual, um, you know, uh, Star Wars worlds. They're built off of the movie universes. They are narratives. You are in them. They're not a movie, but it is a new form of entertainment. And that's that's exciting. It's
1: something. Uh, Speaking of of auteur directors uh, and and their conflicted feelings about tech, uh, we had Steven Spielberg in a fight with Netflix a couple months ago, uh, specifically about whether they should be eligible for Academy Awards. Uh, Cut to last month, March. Uh, Steven Spielberg is on stage at the Steve Jobs Theater explaining uh, about he's making a new show for for Apple.
2: Yeah, I think he's doing Amazing Stories. Yeah, he's fun. rebooting Amazing
1: yeah. Stories, fantastic anthology. Stories. Uh, and many people said, "Hey, what's going on? How come Steven Spielberg hates
2: Netflix but he likes Apple?" What? What are? Can you? Can you? Can you fill us in? I, you know, I I think for my money, and I haven't spoken to either side about this. It's the I think the media has more pitted the two against. I think Netflix is the stalking horse for an industry. Um, Steven Spielberg went out and said, I don't think Netflix should be eligible for my My, a, my point a, is for, Netflix for is Tebow. Netflix War. is Kleenex, meaning Netflix represents the streaming business. Uh-huh. They're not the only ones putting out movies. If you look, and, and uh, as you know, I've written about this before. I am a massive fan of Steven Spielberg. He is one of the most innovative filmmakers ever in terms of technology and storytelling. He likes video games. He, he is, loves video games. He, you know, um, he's been there early since the ET days. Uh, I think that the argument is ill-thought-out from my perspective, and I'll say why. And this is not just Steven. There's, a, there's hundreds of filmmakers that feel this way. I don't really think Netflix is the issue. A movie is a movie. It's a narrative. I don't know if you put a time span on it or not. And I go to Sundance every year. I, I run their digital advisory board. I see 20 movies in four days there. And most of those movies, up until the last six years, you're never seeing some of them would get deals but you maybe would get an art house showing or whatever or a small distribution deal or not nowadays you can, something's going to show up somewhere yeah. and i think that's fantastic now it seems so
1: clearly obviously wrong of him because yeah, his argument was—by the way, his argument wasn't they're not making movies. His yeah. argument was unless they're going to put movies in theaters yeah.
2: where people could see them in theaters, it shouldn't count. Listen, I will say this. It makes Every, no sense. Everyone's different. When I see my nieces and nephews on the floor with their iPads watching a movie— In front of a TV, yeah, right? and they still go to the theater in front of a TV. I think what he's saying in many ways—and I I agree with this. If I, if I had my choice, I would rather see a movie in a movie theater. And the reason being is that— there's a social issue around your phone. Don't use your phone. It's dark. There's emotion with the people that are there. You're immersed in a story. You 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 have the whole screen in your eyes. You have other sides when you're when you're at your house. You know, what was the last— remember, Let's stipulate that it's great to see a movie in a movie theater yes. when and if you can. You can get interrupted. You know, when was the last time you listened to a song it's, I, I, and an SMS a I, and a, and a, I, a I
1: get through. that. I just don't understand staking out an argument that says this doesn't count. This shouldn't yeah, I'm not, shouldn't I'm not shouldn't trying qualify. to sound like
2: Bartles and James, you know, on the porch here, the two old guys. I actually want to see this happen. And and there's a reason I want to see this happen as well that's a business reason. And the business reason Wait, is, what do you want to see happen? I want to see any movie— eligible for an Oscar regardless of where the it was shown. Yes. And I don't know what the, you may have to have a date rule and all this kind of stuff. And by the way, I'd like to sit down with who the head of the academy is because the decisions that they've been making in general uh, and the big ones in terms of a popular movie category and other things have been repealed really quickly. Who knows what goes on they're in there? They're fumbling
1: around trying to make uh, inter- interesting entertainment.
2: Yeah, I think that they've you know smoked the wrong vape pen. But uh, I-, I think they're coming around. But what I don't like what's going on in Hollywood is you hear from the big studios, the middle's gone these great movies, the, the, the stuff that I would say like yeah. Fox Searchlight makes, which is Three Billboards in Ebbing, Missouri or Shape of Water, those movies grind it out. They get an Oscar nomination, grind it out for $60 million. But if those movies were day and date on Hulu, let's say in this new company, and not released in the theater, and you could get nominated for an Academy Award and you used all your powers of promotion around the Disney landscape and other ways to promote that movie, the financial reward for the company could be adding hundreds of millions of dollars in market cap and long-term subscriber growth from those movies because they got the Oscar nomination. And I think that's a good thing. We want to see more movies being made. Right. You so know, so this it is w-
1: what Netflix is doing. This is what Hulu is doing to a lesser
2: extent. Yeah. And, and listen, there's this talk that they're not up to the quality. Listen, the first Netflix shows aren't the Netflix shows they have today. The first Netflix movies aren't the ones that they have today. You see Roma and other kinds of things. They're going to get there. And they have every right to be in the Academy Awards. And by the way, if they don't, the Academy Awards will die as we know it. It'll be an anathema. It will be a, a thing of the past. It'll be like a, an award show, you know, like an MTV Music Awards or something like
1: that. One last big media uh, TV question for you or category for you. Yep. Who, yeah, uh, this is a really interesting company. Um, it, it was announced initially it was going to be a joint venture between NBC and Fox. It was called Clown Co. Everyone thought I this was, was there super before stupid. that. Yeah. Uh, this was originally supposed to sort of take on YouTube slash Apple. Yep. Its owners multiple times were talking about killing it off or selling it off, fumbling through. Cut to yesterday. Time Warner slash AT and T says we we own 10% of it. We're selling it back. We're going to get a billion and a half dollars for our 10% stake. I.e., it's worth 15 billion dollars. Two three years ago, they they invested. It was worth six billion. How have the big media companies somehow succeeded, seemingly
2: despite themselves, with Hulu? It's a great question. So my history with Hulu was long where Peter Chernin, who was running Fox at the time, and Ross Levinson, who was running Fox Interactive, called Tom Freston, who was the CEO of Viacom, and said they wanted to build a rights vehicle. So we would put all rights together, and we would sell them as a rights vehicle. The the context was YouTube has become this
1: huge thing. It's showing Lazy Sunday. Everyone's freaked out about that. And also everyone's freaked out about Apple because they've seen what's happened to the music business. Everyone assumes Apple is going to come crush the video business. Yep. This is
2: 2008-ish. So Viacom drops out. I think NBC gets in yeah. with Fox. I think George Kliakoff um, was, uh, was the original yep. uh, CEO. And then, obviously, Jason Kyler did a great job. The real problem with Hulu was a, a couple of things. They had the greatest head start in the history of media. They were given billions of dollars of, you know, rerun or you quick can watch the office. Content. The it Office. Airs on Monday. You yeah. can watch it on Hulu on Tuesday. And they killed it, and they built a fantastic product out of the gate. But there was never really, as JVs often happen, there's never really the corporate buy-in that was needed. Not at the top. So, you know, the Ruperts of the world believed in Hulu and wanted to disrupt. But when you're someone that's running at a channel division and you're worried about C3, C3, C7, C12 reruns and your ratings, um, and the different people are selling the advertising and you're not getting any credit for that, there was internal strife. There was internal strife on ad breaks at the board level. Jason wanted fewer, they wanted more. Jason was right uh, in in terms of a user experience. They've grown more in the last year or last 18 months than they grew in the previous history of Hulu. I think there were 25 million subs now. Yep. Uh, I think that they're—I've just seen their product plan going forward because there's been issues in their product because, you know, versions were rushed out for corporate reasons. I think they have a very solid product team. I think they're going to get the kinks out. I think they're going to have a great, um, you know, user experience on small screens, but also where the majority but what, of traffic what is the to be. What What kicked yeah. in for them? Uh, the, the thing that kicked in was—listen, that listen, popularity of catalog. What didn't kick into them was when Jason wanted to go into content, the money that he was asking for obviously was not anywhere near enough, and he didn't get it, any of it. It was really, I think, originals and the ability to do partnerships. And this is different than the other services that may compete in the space or these, you know, smaller things like, you know, channel-oriented uh, OTT networks. I heard a rumor that the night, that the night, a- the day after that Handmaid's Tale won the Emmy, that their subs, paid subs in one day went up 10 to 15%. And while Catalog breeds engagement and value and, and, and um, you know, fights churn, it's the originals that market this, your This service. is the HBO lesson, right? They would say,
1: everyone is subscribing because of Game of Thrones, but you can only watch an episode a week. Yep. And Plopler would always say, you know, most people are spending most of their time watching Fast and the Furious 1 through 6.
2: Yeah. Or whatever. So this was a huge moment for them. They haven't had a ton of those kinds of programs, but I think they're on the come. There's two programs on, on Hulu right now are just very poignant and sweet, but they're fantastic. One's called Pen15. And it's from the point—you always saw American Pie in these coming-of-age movies and shows from the point of view of the man. This is from the point of view of two girls in the ninth grade or the seventh grade in the year 2000. And it's a fantastic look uh, in a a world that hasn't really been covered. Is some of this as
1: simple as they've gone from having multiple owners to really just two owners, Disney and Fox, because Comcast couldn't really participate, to— for the last couple of years, it's been clear it's going to be run by Disney, and that makes it just easier for them to figure out
2: what they want to do. I, I, don't, I don't know. I know the board was a real problem, and at any given time, one board member wanted to sell and the other didn't, and then they, then they flipped. I know from the employees that they've been very happy with Randy Freer. He's someone who's smart, who listens, but also knows what he doesn't know. He's a traditional media guy and has been really immersing himself in product and churn and data. And, he, and, and I think for the first time, they feel like they have license to go just run. And I think that's a big part of what they're doing. They have to invest massively. And we're talking about like, you know, uh, multiples. You also have this, this, what I think is going to be the future. Whereas you have a guy named John Langraff who runs FX, who's now a, an executive running his same company at Disney. But I would hope to see that Disney says, you're making X number of shows for your channel. We'll double your budget and get you more shows. But we want you to program for Hulu, for Disney Plus, for wherever. I'd like to see the production units and the individual channels making shows just for Hulu because the value that that brings to the company long-term is way more. And I I think that's a big part of it. So to me, Hulu's the one to bet on. And I think they have momentum. They just have to ramp up and and get some great originals that sell their service. The second thing is, and I don't know the numbers, they did a deal with Spotify where it was bundled together, introducing it to younger kids and all this kind of stuff. And I think it has been a home run for them. There's
1: a conventional wisdom that says, hey, all these services are out there. Hulu, Netflix, Disney, Amazon, HBO. I'm going to have to buy all these. I'm going to have to spend as much
2: as I'm paying for my cable bundle. Yep. Do you believe that or do you think people are going to pick two or three? I, listen, I don't think cable is getting replaced by any stretch of the imagination and by the story that I told you about what happens to me. I legitimately watch more video but, than but, anybody else.
1: But you, we've also determined you're a freak. No, I'm watched, a, no, what I'm saying the,
2: is – The Sopranos 13 times. But I'm, I'm watching – must watch content less because netflix is just satiating yeah it. so i don't i think at the most in a high income household you'll have three to five most will have a netflix or a disney and that's just the way it's gonna and fall you're gonna out. have some free stuff well you, you see this week so youtube uh tv moved their prices from what to what 45 to 50 45 to 50 everyone's outraged Cable has subsidized the direct-to-consumer video businesses, the second Windows, the Netflixes of the world. As cable crumbles, as TV drops – they're not dropping Viacom or Discovery or an A&E slowly the cable bundle dwindles and therefore the subsidization of the content happens. That content doesn't get cheaper to make. So the reality is you're still going to have to pay for it. The prices are going to go up.
1: Well, I think that's the real reality is that when faced with anything close to a real bill for this – most people are going to say, nope, don't want it, don't care. Do, uh, do I like the Food Network? Sure. Can I get all that stuff somewhere else for much
2: less or free? Sure. fine. I love the Food Network. You know, I love I, I love Bourdain. But when you go on Netflix now, and I'm not comparing the shows you may like one better yeah. than the other, they have a Food Network. It's just under the genre of food. Someone on Twitter was saying, what's, what's stuff that I
1: can watch while I'm doing something else in my hotel room and can half pay attention? Yeah. And someone responded— Chopped, second, I'm like, Chopped is great. It's a great show because you don't really have to pay attention. Yeah. Every and third it's word. kind of background. Yep. Um, and chopped uh, pretty special, but but the point is there's lots of that stuff where you can kind of half watch it And I think that stuff's very easy to substitute.
2: I miss Anthony Bourdain every day I used to watch Guy Fieri all the time But I watch chef's table and ugly delicious from David Chang on Netflix and they're fantastic We're gonna hit your heart out. So before we do that, I want to ask
1: about Pandora real quick. Yes, you were on the board Yep, so you wouldn't speak to me about, about Pandora no, that would be now we against all sorts of laws. Yep but now, legally, you can do it. Sure. So Pandora doesn't exist as a standalone company. It got bought by Liberty. But it is this which, still a standalone product. Right. But Liberty had bought a big chunk of it. It seemed quite clear they were going to buy the rest of it, at least to me. Was that always the plan once Liberty came in and said, we're buying essentially a third of the company? Not the from my perspective.
2: My, my perspective was get maximum value for the company and whoever pays that, uh-huh. you, know, uh, you know, as long as it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, a sovereign enemy, um, you know, we would, we would sell. So Pandora was an early leader in streaming music. Yep. Free. I met, I met Tim Westergren, the CEO, 18 years ago. It was the Music the Genome first.
1: Project. Yes. He was sort of casting about for sort of, he had, he had this idea about how to sort of help people discover music. Yep. At one point, he was like, "This we're going to put kiosks in Best Buy. That shows you how long ago this was. <laughs> um, and eventually became a, a streaming radio company. Yep. Um, had a big early lead, went early into the iPhone, that supersized it even bigger, um, and basically sort of hit a wall both in terms of user acquisition and in
2: terms of revenue. What, what do we learn from that lesson? I think it's a very common story, which is a company that built a great product and had a very uh, early lead, but also a constitution on what the product should be. Uh, and then an often, and again, I, I don't want to disparage anybody, but it's just more of my Monday morning quarterbacking, looking back and being as a board member that looked to, to understand the history there, which is a hubris about never wanting to change. And the reality is people wear different pants than they wore 50 years ago. And there was an evolution of what the audience expected. And On Demand and Spotify had a big part of that. Not to say, I mean, the the, the radio product of Pandora just works. It's fantastic. But you needed to augment with services. And when they augmented very late to do On Demand streaming, the service was subpar. But that was a whole business model change, right? And they had- It was a a, um, fragmentation of your revenue model so that you're not dependent on one revenue stream. But they, they had a business saying we we can we don't need to license stuff directly with the labels. Yep. So That's going to save
1: us a ton of time yes, and yes, money, yes. and we're going to give people a free thing. Free is a big deal. We were just talking about the appeal of free and video, yep. and you and I and lots of other people want to hear a specific song at a specific
2: time. On the other hand, lots of people are happy to just have some music on. I think there was a mistake that was made, where there was assumption from executives that thought that if you wanted to listen to great radio, you would lic- you would do Pandora and you would just get Spotify for on demand. And the reality is that as great as the radio at Pandora was for the average person, not me and you, Spotify was good enough. And I think that the reason that they went into on demand vi- uh, on demand audio was uh, really as a defensive play, which is it's in order to keep the overall audience. You have to have that um, you know sort of mix of content. And I think that the product was late. It wasn't on the level of a Spotify, which was, you know, eight years into what they were doing at this point. Um, there was a great employee base at, at Pandora, but it was also under competition in, in Oakland from the Googles and the Facebooks and others. And there was a, a lot of executive turnover. And you're reading stuff in the press that make you feel like maybe you don't want to stay. And when we joined the board, I joined the board and the next day Tim left. So Tim Westergren, of me. the founder. Yeah, Tim Westergren, the founder. And he was one of the people that, that came to me for the board. And when we thought about a CEO, we wanted someone who they had to love music, but they also had to understand the importance of how culture, partnerships, acquisitions, and also admitting that the idea that you had 10 years ago may not be the idea for the future. And we decided on Roger Lynch and Roger stabilized the company. He did a very quick acquisition so that we could be the leading audio ad platform Bought, a, bought
1: an ad tech company, the ad tech company, terrible name.
2: Yeah, um, what, I, what was it called? Audio, no, wiz or something ad like that. Or wiz. AdWiz. Yeah. It looks like a parody name. Yeah, well, now it's integrated into Pandora. But you know, a lot of media companies, believe it or not, still are using spreadsheets and stuff to deliver, sure. you know, ad buys and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he stabilized Don't call it the company. Wiz, that's all. He stabilized the company. He got the stock price back up um, from where it was when he joined by multiples. The real issue was just the timing. What I wanted more for anything as a board member for, for Roger to have more runway, because I knew where he was going with the product and there was something to be had. And you just can't pick up 70 million you know subscribers or users in a billion and a half revenue. Those ex- companies don't really exist. And in a world of bundled media, an AT&T or somebody else may want it, or an Apple or Spotify take it out because they don't want somebody else to have it.
1: And now it's been swallowed up by Liberty, which- Who needed it? Which we don't spend nearly enough time talking about and writing about, and I gotta bring them in. And I think they're intentionally quiet.
2: Jim Meyer, you know, who runs Sirius, a very smart guy. So let's just talk about
1: Liberty has a Sirius. Now they've got Pandora. Yep. Uh, they I hear con- they want Live Nation controlling stake in, in the Ticketmaster Live Nation guys right yep. uh, they've made money around the ecosystem mm-hmm. of music yes Roger Lynch, what you mentioned, brought in to to run Pandora. Now he's going to run Condé Nast. Condé Nast, he starts on the 22nd. How do you think he's going to do running a a sort of the
2: preeminent but but fading magazine publisher? Listen, they, they still make a tremendous amount of content, a lot of money, but there are real challenges, and I think that's exactly why Roger signed up. I don't think he believes that there's any fun in jumping off a bench and playing it easy. And uh, I was just over at Conde Nast yesterday, and there's a good attitude there with the employees. And um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I haven't spoken to them about the strategy at all, but I understand the choice that they made for him. I didn't know he was talking to them, but I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and I think he wants the challenge. Uh, it's, it's you know, it's hard to correct a company like that. There's so much cultural issues. There's so much history. They really should have owned the internet. I mean, family company, family company. Um, and I I will say this: Roger ran Pandora. The board, you know, had its hand in, you know, yay or nay, and, but we were led by him, and I hope that the new houses listen to him. Um, and when you're a billionaire, sometimes you don't, but, you know, they, they gave him the first global CEO job ever in the history of Coney Nas, which is a big deal. Um, My- the other thing I'd say about Liberty is one of the things that I think Pandora lacked was this curation. They did the algorithm. They've added podcasts now, and they have a genome project around that, but I still think the programming matters. And one of the issues that we heard from the artist community was, I get Pandora. I love Pandora, but how does it help me promote my music? How do I work with Pandora to promote? Because, you know, you can't really slot something in. There's a guy named Scott Greenstein at uh, Sirius that runs programs. Yes. And he's a great programmer, and he understands brands, and he's going to be very involved in Pandora. And They're already doing cross stuff. I think that's gonna be exciting development in augmenting what is already great about Pandora.
1: So my challenge was to get you out of here in less than an hour, we've failed. Sure, an hour. well, that's because in I'm here and seconds. I talk. Good luck. Please be careful when you're driving in LA because if you hit somebody, they're gonna know exactly who hit them.
2: Yeah, I can't really run away from the scene you of a crime. You cannot front. run away It's from very the funny, front. I got a red light ticket because all those cameras, and everyone says, like, they can't tell it was you. I'm sitting in the car, I got a redef hat on, and the front of the car says redef. And I, I just remember that scene in Role Models where the guy goes, I didn't steal those TVs. And then they show him the video, and he's like, This is me stealing TVs. I love you, Peter Kaufman. This is you. I love
1: you. I will see you in a year or so. Be well. Be well. Uh, thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to producing this, Gold Arthur. Thanks to recording this, Jelani Carter. Thanks to editing this, Joel Robbie. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. If you love all of those people, and you should, Leave us a comment. Make it nice on Apple Podcasts. See you soon.